I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-minute parenting series of books. Welcome to my 15-minute parenting podcast, where I take a common parenting struggle and break it down with practical, playful solutions. Let's get going. This is a topic that comes up a lot, both in my clinical practice, but also in questions that I receive from parents, from you guys listening, and thank you so much for listening and taking the time to send me your questions. So if there's ever anything that you're thinking, oh, I really wish you would cover this, or I've had this experience and I'd like to understand it a bit more, feel free to send me a message and I'll happily look at it covering it on here. But this one has come up a lot. And, you know, when I received a very specific question on it from a listener asking that I address the topic of eco-anxiety on here, I felt it was really important to do. And like I said, it does come up a lot in terms of my conversations with children is what I mean, and young people, as well as parents saying, gosh, you know, my child is struggling with this and I really don't feel equipped to deal with it. So let's break it down a bit in terms of what we're talking about, because eco-anxiety or climate anxiety, it may not yet, and I will put a yet in there, be a diagnosable condition, but it is notably on the rise. The listener question that came in was asking specifically how to better understand where this fear was coming from in their eight-year-old child who had come home from their school climate awareness week very angry with all parents and grandparents who had, as they were putting it, destroyed the planet for all kids. Now, once the anger of this child had, you know, come down a little bit, they were co-regulating with their parent and the parent had worked through a lot of it with them, a lot of tears and fears emerged, as well as a few disrupted nights sleep as they were struggling to see a way through the climate crisis. And I get that because this is so difficult for us as adults to grapple with and get our heads around. At eight years old, it can be entirely overwhelming. And young people are increasingly reporting and expressing their fear for the future, their anger at previous generations, at the government, at all of our collective inaction to protect the climate from damage. And their fears and anger are both justified and valid in this respect. And as the important adults in their lives, we need to hear that. How our children are feeling, their anger, getting cross with us, do you know what? There is a basis for it. The climate has not been protected. They are the generation who are going to face great and severe consequences as a result of that and the burden of responsibility of turning it around. They're allowed to be angry with us. So we need to validate their feelings and accept and empathize with the anxiety that this is causing for them. There are various studies, you know, um, that report the significant impact in young people and children in terms of their carrying the psychological burden of the climate crisis. So we, and by we, I mean us adults, you know, whether you're listening in your capacity as parent or teacher or mentor or coach or whatever role you have with children, we have to step up and lean into this with our children so that they know that they are not alone with these worries. Now, let me take a, a little step back on this for a moment and break down the term eco-anxiety because you might be listening and I have an idea what you're talking about, but I don't know that I fully understand it. So eco-anxiety is a fear of climate change and its effects. It can also manifest as, you know, an almost existential dread of the human race being wiped out imminently. 
a fear that I think might sound dramatic and oh we're doomed we'll be wiped out imminently but at the same time that fear is not without some scientific basis and that said with basis or not that is an overwhelming level of fear for anyone let alone a child to be holding on to and this kind of disheartenment about the future can have a significant impact on children's mental health and well-being and can lead to a sense of you know just feeling that futility is really what I'm going for there a sense that there's no hope there's no point point in trying to change things and this sense of intense futility can actually result in inaction and you know that yourself like you think well well there's no point in doing anything if it's not going to make any difference so I just won't do anything and if nothing changes guys then nothing changes so far from motivating us it can absolutely paralyze us into inaction And recently enough, actually, it's just bringing back to mind an interview I did. I was a guest on Dr. Cara Augustenberg's climate radio show on News Talk FM, a really good show. Um, If you haven't heard it, you can listen back to all of the podcasts of of the show. And a a number of recently enough, but yet a number of weeks ago, I was being interviewed about supporting children through conversations on climate change. And as part of that interview, another guest who was an expert in climate change and whose knowledge and expertise I would not question um, is in around climate change and all of that. They said that taking a soft and gentle, hopeful approach to this conversation was pointless. And they were advocating a much more direct, reality, imminent demise approach to the conversation. Now, we disagreed on this point, obviously enough, you know the point of view I'm coming from. And he called me in the course of that conversation a hopiest um, or, you know, the people who talk like the way I was suggesting to children are high on hopium, something I I know he didn't intend it as a compliment, but I'm smiling even thinking about it because I really quite liked it, to be honest. Um, I'm happy enough to be a hopiest because I think you can be a hopiest, um, you know, without being a fantasist. You can still have a grasp on reality. So and again, I want to emphasize I do not in any way disagree with his expertise or his reading on the climate situation or that it's something we need to discuss with our children in an open and honest way but I do not agree that the best or most effective form of communication with anyone to be honest with you but especially with children is a fear-based narrative you know let's think about that and what we mean by a fear-based narrative and why it's not a good idea in a world of social media and live reporting of climate events and disasters or indeed any other world events or disasters for that matter our children are not short on fear-based messaging and alarmist approaches but you know what is in short supply hope and optimism And we do not need to scare our children into believing that this crisis is real. Young people know that this is serious and they do not need to be terrified into believing its seriousness. They need to be empowered and supported into taking positive and proactive action. And fear does not lead to positive proactive action as its narrative is one one of doom and inevitability. Uh, Children need to know that change is possible to make change possible. An environment of fear and anxiety will just not improve learning or prompt positive action. It never has because fear is immobilizing in this regard. When our fight, flight, freeze impulses are activated, as happens when we are aroused by fear and anxiety, we do not retain information. 
We are moreover triggered into an elevated state of anticipatory arousal. So we become like emotional meerkats scanning around us for signs that we are right to be as fearful as we are. And in that state of arousal, we do not take in or process new cognitive information. We don't retain the message being delivered to us. We retain the feeling the feeling of fear in this instance. So to inspire action, we need to inspire optimism and yes, hope. And to do this, our children need access to accessible science and practical ways to make individual changes, how to get involved at a community level and playful and practical ways to connect with nature and value and appreciate our natural resources all around us. So to support our children and young people in this area, we, you know, we, they're important adults, must focus on solutions, actions and potential rather than doom and fatalism. And empowering children with accurate information in accessible content, along with these practical, actionable tips I'm talking about, will affect a reduction in eco-anxiety and a rise in pro-climate action. And that is the approach that I advocate. I always have and I always will. And a final thought on this topic, though I will say there is so much, you know, to be said and explored on it. And like I said, you know, Cara Gustenberg's uh, Down to Earth podcast or ra weekly radio show that is then podcast is so worth listening back to as a way of informing ourselves and getting to understand you know what can be complex science but presented in a really accessible way because I think when we're informed it empowers us to feel like we have a narrative that we can then impart to our children. But, you know, I do want to emphasize on that, that our children and young people are and have been the face and voice of eco-awareness, calling us grown-ups out and having to shame us into action and accountability. And this burden of responsibility needs to be carried by us adults. And to do this and to be available to co-regulate our children through eco-anxiety, we must open our eyes and minds and get informed and lead by positive example by taking responsibility and taking action. I'm going to maybe share a couple of ways that I think are playful just to get you started. I'm not saying, you know, and I really don't mean to infer that what I'm going to say here, oh, well, that's going to solve the climate crisis. Of course, I don't mean it in that flippant way, but just some ideas to kickstart a playful, practical approach while you are gaining yourself some more information and deepening this, this process with you and your child. But one thing you could do is go on a hunt for any empty packaging in the house. Um, it might be things like cardboard boxes, bottle tops, foil, you know, foil that you've used and folded up maybe with a view to using again. But making sure that whatever items you, you gather up are clean and free from sharp edges for obvious reasons. And then you put it to work at making what I'm going to call a waste masterpiece. So you can create toys, games, musical instruments. I know in my house we were able to repurpose a few different bits and make some finger drums and make some percussion instruments out of it but the opportunities are endless and even if what you come up with is some kind of you know I don't know what that is I can't discern what that item is have fun with that and say you created something entirely new that's never been seen before give it a name what's its function what would we do with it and bring out some imaginative play around that and of course taking the old reduce reuse recycle framework you know Talk with your children about how you can practically reduce and avoid using packaging, repairing rather than replacing things is one way of buying less stuff. That could be clothing, it could be toys, 
buying bulk items rather than lots of smaller ones is another way you know planning out what you're going to need in your week and making a list then reusing what else could you know empty packaging be used for we've just given an example of turning it into toys instruments or other items but you know you could take things like plastic bottles and rolls of newspaper um, and make a new plant pot you know grow some seeds grow some herbs in that um, as well as you know washing out taking off labels and letting them dry some glass jars that you can then use for food containers um, and really we're modeling for our children that there are ways of repurposing items and reducing what we're throwing out and recycling you know what packaging can be recycled and what can't that's such an interesting project to do at home and one I've done myself and really found it in you know really informative for me too that some items I'd assumed well that's surely recycled maybe wasn't or belonged in another bin so you know really going through it how much of your household's weekly waste is non-recyclable you know how do the different recycling symbols on packaging what do they mean what do you do with them just really especially with the younger ones introducing this kind of thoughtfulness and this kind of process but in general I think if you prom promote mending and fixing rather than replacing and really show them about composting your food and you know even out of that and maybe what I say now is going to make you go oh no you had me till this point and that's okay start where it's comfortable for you but you know if you're composting and you're really into that and you've children who are really into the outdoors and soil and I love that when kids get into it consider building your own wormery and looking at what are the ecological benefits of doing something like that children can be fascinated in all that kind of earth science so that's another way of really inspiring them to be considered and thoughtful whatever you do take action don't disregard the small actions as well that's not going to make a big enough change every little change will happen and it's all building up towards a more cumulative impact but start the conversation now with your child thank you for listening I'd love if you could leave a positive review share this with a friend or a few friends or even subscribe to the podcast. It really helps others to find it and helps with visibility online. You can also follow me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune or on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. No E at the end of that. Tune in next time for more 15-Minute Parenting.